The scripture reads, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. <laughs> Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been there here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Now, that was quite a bit of reading, about 45 verses but I'm hoping that you see this full, this full spectrum of things happening here. If you just think with me, think to yourselves and think along with me, why did you see the people in this narrative? Because that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a, a set of circumstances, a time and a place and something that's happening. What did you see the people doing? What did you see them feeling? Um, you're welcome to uh, type that in. If you're watching online, you're welcome to kind of share that out loud here if you're comfortable with it. Um, obviously, the first thing we see is grief, right? But if we back up a little bit, because John gives us so much context, we also have some, we have some, uh, we have some anxiety. We have some fear, right? We, have some, we also have hope. There was a messenger sent. Mary and Martha sent somebody to go find Jesus because they had put their hope in him. You see that multiple times throughout this section of verses. The, we see hope constantly. This hope that got disappointed. This hope that was disappointed that leads to this sense of grief and loss. And when hope gets disappointed, it can lead to anger, can lead to some frustration and anger because you go, I thought that I knew what would happen. I thought that if we sent this messenger to find Jesus, Jesus would hear, oh, one of my best friends is not doing so well, and he would come immediately and he would rescue him because we've seen him do that before. If you extrapolate that out a little bit, it reminds me when I read this chapter, it just spoke to me so pointedly about the world we're in now, where it just feels like I'm not sure what's coming around the next bend. Every week, every day, sometimes in the same day, between the morning and the afternoon, something changes. Something was expected, and then un suddenly it was unexpected. We live in the midst of a, of a, of a society and a world now that is simply growing accustomed to not having a clue what's going on. And I think we can learn quite a bit from John 11 here, and I think that it can offer us a sense of hope. I think that it can remind us 
of what's most important, and it can remind us of, uh, of really true things. So what did you notice these people fearing? Feeling. Fear naturally is there. We have fear. We have grief. Did you see, hmm, did you see any despair? Did you recognize their despair? And you recognize their sadness and you recognize their anxiety. You recognize any anger? We didn't read further, but at this point in John 11 is when uh, John gives us a clue as to how some of the religious leaders are going to start perceiving Jesus as their enemy. So if you had read verse 46 or beyond, you'll see quite a bit of anger start growing in the, in the Jewish leaders' community around Jerusalem towards Jesus. See, disgust. Death is a disgust. There's, there's something about death that just goes like, ugh. I mean, Martha told Jesus, he says, take that rock away from the tomb. And what did she say? Just hold up. Four days. There's no winter here. Four days of Middle Eastern sun and Middle Eastern heat. Okay, I'm not going to paint that picture any further. Martha says, there's a stench. That's disgust. That's going, we don't want to get close to that. Keep it behind the rock. Just, we're sad. What do we see the people doing? We see hoping. You see believing even too. You see confusion? Mary and Martha both saying, we don't quite get it. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, is that true? We don't know. But there's that confusion. We have some empathizing. I'm not going to fault the Jews for, from Jerusalem for going to Bethany and, and mourning with, with Mary and Martha. That's a good thing. When you experience a deep and sudden loss, that community comfort is essential. They've experienced something profoundly grievous, profoundly sad. On two levels, they've had their disappointment in their friend who they perceive to have power to have kept this bad thing from happening. And if he truly loves them, won't he keep bad things from happening? And then we have the actual experience of losing their brother. We see praying. We see some accusing. You see, the way we track narrative, especially biblical narrative, is that we're not just here to, get, to glean information out of the story. And here's how I know, here's two things that I'm going to point that out to you. One, this story is not about Lazarus. Some of you are going like, wait a minute. This chapter is not about Lazarus. 
This chapter is about Jesus. Lazarus, we don't even hear from Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for four days, and he walks out of a tomb, and nobody interviews him. We don't have, Lazarus, what was that like? This story is not about Lazarus. This story is about Jesus, first of all. So the information that we're going to see here is not about the information of knowing the details of what happened. Narrative is there to demonstrate to us the character of the people. It helps us get to know what people are like. And especially in the gospel, all the gospels are pointing to us, are helping us to learn what Jesus is like. So what is Jesus like in an unexpected kind of world? What is Jesus like when his friends and his people experience unexpected loss? You don't have to raise your hands. Anybody in the room experienced some unexpected loss recently? The answer is yes. What is Jesus like in the midst of an unexpected loss. That's what this is here for. That is what John wants us to understand. Secondly, Jesus tells us why everything here is is important. Did you catch it at the beginning when he was talking to the disciples? Verse 15, Jesus tells the disciples, and he's speaking very plainly, he says, for your sake, for your sake, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So something about what we're going to encounter in these 45 verses is A, not about Lazarus, it's about Jesus, and B, about how we grow to trust him. Now, that's hard. That's really hard because what we're about to read is painful, isn't it? We know what death feels like, and it's painful. But what we're learning here, looking just at verse 6, what we're learning here is that we belong to the kind of God who is not afraid of pain or dealing with us in the midst of any other feeling or emotion or reaction to life as it is, which is hard, broken, and sin-influenced. I'll read it for you again. We belong to the kind of God who is not afraid of pain, or dealing with us in the midst of any other feeling or emotion or reaction to life as it is, hard, broken, and sin-influenced. That gives me hope. I hope it gives you hope. Because the unexpected loss you may have encountered recently may be the loss of an actual life. It may simply be the loss of some kind of security. It may be the loss of hopes. It may be the loss of dreams. It may be the loss of the future you had planned and how everybody was happy and healthy and well-fed and secure. 
But we belong to the kind of God who is not afraid of pain. He does not distance himself from it. He doesn't say you're on your own. We belong to the kind of God who says, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake so that you can believe. Didn't I tell you? He tells Martha, didn't I tell you? The glory of God's going to be revealed through this. If that's the kind of God we belong to, then the flip side of that character analysis, the flip side of that, of what we're learning here is, well, what kind of people are we? What kind of people are we? That means that we are the kind of people in Christ who can trust that the Lord's purposes are glorious and even commit to seeing them despite what it may cost us. I would be willing, if I were betting, man, I would be willing, I would be willing to wager that if we took a microphone around this room here this morning, we could hear a testimony from every single life about how God surprised us and turned something difficult into something good, or turned something painful into something glorious, or perhaps yet had turned something hard into something that gave him glory. Because that is the function of a testimony. The function of a testimony is to say, I'm going to bear witness to what I have seen and heard. And if we're paying attention, if we are the kind of people who are watching God at work in our lives, then what we have are pocketfuls of stories where we say, I didn't know what he was going to do, but somehow, and you can fill in the blank. It doesn't mean that everything turns out all right. It never does. See, here's, the, here's the, sad, the sad reality about all of this is that Lazarus did have to die. Lazarus did die. There's no undoing that. Jesus didn't rewind time and go back to a point in time where Mary and Martha did not experience the loss of their brother. He did not eradicate that pain. He transformed it. He didn't eliminate that experience. He redeemed it. And when we're in the midst of that part of the story, when we're in the midst of that part, we're in the part where it's hard or it's painful, when we're there, we just want it to stop. Don't we? Don't we just go, okay, I'm ready for this to be done. Somebody snap their fingers and make COVID-19 go away. Better yet, snap their fingers and rewind us not nine months, and, and keep whoever it was who did whatever they did to unleash this on the world, keep them from doing that thing. That's what our hope
like an undoing of the bad, an undoing of the pain, or an undoing of the difficulty. It doesn't tend to look like, how is God going to take this and turn it into something that gives him glory? How is God going to take this and turn it into something that demonstrates his power over bad things because he's not afraid of pain? And if we are the kind of people who have put our entire hope and our entire eternal security in the message of a gospel that says the worst thing that could ever have possibly imagined is that the Son of God gave up His life and literally experienced death, the most painful kind of death, in the most shameful kind of way. And God used that to bring salvation to everyone. God used that to set His people free. God used that to heal the human condition. And suddenly we get a kind of glimpse into the kind of God that we're actually dealing with and how he doesn't say, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make the pain stop. I'm just going to make the bad part go away. And we're going to just do it like it would never happened. He, instead, he says, watch what I'm going to do with this. Watch what I'm going to do with this. We belong to the kind of God who is the hope for all pain, grief, and anger being resolved. Whether that is family tension, disappointment, unexpected loss, anything. Because when we are the kind of people who believe Him when He says, behold, I'm making all things new. We are the kind of people who believe him when he says, I know this is hard, but fear not, for I am with you. When you go through the fire, I will be there. When you go through the waters, I will hold you in my right hand. Because we are the kind of people, naturally, who don't always see the big picture or plan, but can trust that there is one because we know what God is like. Something that I've learned, something that has just kind of astounded me, it really amazes me over the last uh, few years, is the difference between the God who is real, the one true living God, and how yes, yes, it is impossible for sin to be approved in his presence. And yet in the midst of his holiness, what we see continuously throughout scripture is a God who gets close to people in the dirt and grit and difficulty of life. See, the, the, the ancient gods the ancient, uh, the ancient pagan gods, and even our modern pagan gods, we somehow, we value distance and disconnection. We value some kind of immutability between the divine and the human condition. It's like, no, no, God needs to be a stoic with a, with a, with a straight face who doesn't know how, what, 
I mean, he needs to be untouchable when it comes to pain, or he needs to be like Molech or, or Zeus who's high on the mountain and far away. And what we find is that the living God is so close to the human condition and so close to the difficulty of a sin-ravaged world that he can smell it. And I mean that very literally. Because, again, Martha said, Jesus, there's a stench. And it struck me this week, and maybe this is just me, I'm going, wow, that's kind of cool. And again, I'm not trying to be disgusting. But Jesus, it says, cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. If you were going to cry out in a loud voice, how do you prepare to do that? You take a deep breath. (laughs) So that tomb got cracked, and everything that was behind that rock got bled out, and Jesus took a deep breath so that he could yell out, Lazarus, come out. And he had a real body that had real olfactory nerve, and he was not immutable to the stench of a dead man. And he did not say, I'm not dealing with this. And I just think that's incredible. Because the kind of God that that he embodied, the kind of God that he was incarnate, the kind of God that he was demonstrating to us is a God who was not going to distance himself from the difficulty and the pain and the unexpected loss and the grief and the anger and the anxiety and the despair and the fear and the disgust. The Son of God walked two days, wept, breathed in the stink, before he redeemed all of the difficulty, before he transformed it, before he said, watch what I can do with this. It's amazing. And he prayed, he prayed knowing we were listening. I, I love it. Verse 41. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. There it is again. Here's the purpose of everything. Here's the purpose of everything. The purpose of the difficulty is going to lead to hope and belief. It is going to lead to trusting the kind of God that Jesus is. It is going to lead to trusting him. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he knows is happening. We belong to a heavenly father who hears and loves his children. 
So when you're in the midst of that unexpected loss, when you're in the midst of that despair, when you've got that anxiety, when you are sad, when you have that anger, here's a prayer. Father, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for not turning your back on me. Thank you for not pushing me away. Thank you for not walking away. Thank you for not creating distance. Thank you for not saying, hold on just a minute. Thank you for not saying, I'll get back to you later. Thank you for not saying, I'll be right back. I've got some groceries to get. Thank you for not putting me on hold. Father, thank you for hearing me. Because he does. Because he does. We all believe, I, I'm fairly confident, I haven't interviewed us all, but I think we believe that God knows everything. Is that right? Okay, I'm not going to interview you. If you believe that God knows everything, if you believe that God is omniscient, this is a very miniature theology point, that is entirely a wonderful and, and true thing. God knows everything. And yet, there is still something called experiential knowledge that he does not have until you, until, until it's done. Does God know what it's like for you to tell him? Does God know what it's like for you to pray? Does God know what it's like for you to tell him, I'm sad that my friend Lazarus has died? Does he know what it's like for you to tell him that until you tell him that? And that is not meant to make all the brains in the room go kaboom. That is simply a relational truth. Relationship means we have to have mutual experience. And if God has invited us into a real living relationship, then he really desires actual communication and actual conversation. And he really wants you to tell him what's going on in life. And when you do, he's really listening. He's not going, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. He could know you were going to say it, but you still had to tell him before he could go, thank you for sharing that with me. Jesus demonstrates for us the love between the Heavenly Father and the Son of God when He says, thank you for hearing me. And we can pray that too. In Christ, we say we are co-heirs with Christ, we are adopted sons of God, adopted children of God, and, and Paul writes to the Romans, by the, whole, by the Spirit of God in us, in Romans 8, he says, by that Spirit we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. What's the point of all of this? What's the point of the difficulty? What's the point of the unexpected? What's the point of the pain? What's the point of how hard it is? If you had a Bible that has subheadings, maybe yours cut everything off at verse 44, did it? Because that's the end of the Lazarus bit. 
The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Does your Bible stop there as the end of a section? What's the next verse? (laughs) Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. And what did Jesus say was the point of all this? What did Jesus say to the disciples back in the first 10 verses? And what did he say in the prayer to his heavenly father? What did he say was the point? That they would believe, that they would come to trust. That word belief, the same word. Believe is this cognitive kind of ascent, this informational, oh, yep, I think that's true. The same word, we flip it around into a relational context, which is what this is, and it means trust. What Jesus was praying is that these people would learn to trust me. And the last verse that we have to pay attention to, we've got to see it, is that he was right. That mission was on point. It happened. It was happening. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, trusted him. If that's the kind of God that we belong to, then we are called to be the kind of people who invite others to watch with us for God's provision, faithfulness, and glory. We are not the kind of people who simply stand in the crowd and bemoan the problem, and say, yes, this is so hard. It is so frustrating. It is so difficult. We are not the kind of people who simply say, but what are you going to do? We are the kind of people who say, I wonder how God's going to turn this into something amazing. I wonder how God's going to demonstrate his glory through this. I wonder how God's going to transform this pain and hardship into something glorious. I wonder how he's going to magnify his name. I wonder how he's going to use this to help people believe. Because that is the point of everything. The point of everything is going to be so that you may believe, so that you may trust so that you may know without a shadow of a doubt what kind of God you belong to, that he is trustworthy and good and wise, unsurprised, and ready to walk with you through all of it. We are the kind of people who invite others to watch with us for God's provision, faithfulness, and glory. Amen? Okay, you pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for hearing us. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our trust. Help us, God, open our eyes 
to see you, who you really are, what you're really like, so that we are a people who open our mouths to a confused and conflicted world and say, wait for it. Something, something is bound, something is coming out of this. God is going to do something. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait with me. Watch with me. May we be people who encourage one another, who mutually edify, encourage, spur one another on towards love and good deeds for your name's sake. May we be people of hope. May we be people who trust you. Amen. You are that kind of people. He is that kind of God. He is that kind of Savior, and He calls us as His own. Amen.